We'll be in Genesis chapter 8 this evening. Anybody not tired from VBS still? Hopefully have an easy message tonight. Genesis chapter 8. We'll talk a little bit about the flood and then uh, hopefully make some spiritual application. Uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 1. It says, And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually, and after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. The ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month on the first day of the month were the tops of the mountains seen. It came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made, and he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. And he stayed yet seven other days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came in to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. So this, this story in Genesis of the, of the flood, this is after the flood, um, these, were, these were real events, really happened on this earth. And skeptics will often, uh, this is kind of one of their favorites to pick on, is this, the story of Noah's Ark. They, they ask all kinds of questions. And, you know, uh, sometimes there's a, there's a great big difference just in your attitude. You know, there's a lot of skeptics that ask questions with a scoffing-type attitude, but there's others who just really want to know. And we ought to have uh, answers for those folks, okay? And, you know, one of the questions that people have is, you know, where did the water for the flood come from and where did it go? That's a, that's a reasonable question, I think, isn't it? And if you read, if you look back in Chapter 7, uh, in verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, and the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. So a lot of people that are not real familiar with the Bible, but maybe a little bit, they always think that the, the, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and that's where the water for the flood came from. But actually, I believe most of the water for the flood actually came from the fountains of the great deep. Okay, there were, I believe that the earth was very different before uh, the flood. The pre-flood world was very different. And uh, there were subterranean water chambers uh, back then that came, and that, that God broke up the earth at that time, and they came blasting out to the surface. And I believe you can still see the, the scars on the earth as a result of that, where the fault lines are today. Okay? It says in Job 38, 16, it's kind of interesting. God's questioning Job. He says, uh, Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea? Okay? There, and you know, scientists did not even know there were springs in the sea until they found the first one in 1977. Right? And in order for water to be springing up at the bottom of the sea, that means there has to be water below that, right? So, uh, if, and it says, um, it, the, again, as I said, the earth is very different today. And remember, the last time I was up here, I talked about Second Peter chapter 3, where it talks about the scoffers in the last days are going to be ignorant of the flood. They're going to be ignorant of the fact that the pre-flood world was different. It says in uh, Isaiah 45, 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. But today, less than 3% of Earth's surface is habitable for man. You know, the rest is covered by uh, oceans and deserts and tundras and things like that, okay? But the, the Bible says originally God created the Earth to be inhabited, okay? 
And look in verse 3 there that we just read. It says, and the waters returned from off the earth continually. Well, in order for something to return somewhere, it had to be there to begin with. And if the water was under the crust of the earth and came blowing out of there, well, what's going to happen to that space under the ground? It eventually will collapse, and the water is going to run right back on top of where it was before. It says the waters returned. Now, when the waters returned to that place, they, uh, you know, even covering the surface of the land still, they would have been full of dead animals, plants, all kinds of things. And I can't remember if I've ever mentioned this from up here before, but you know, the evolutionists would have everybody believe that the rock layers that you see in the ground, you, know, you drive down the road and they've blasted the mountain away, you can see those layers of rock in there. They want you to, to believe that all those formed over millions of years slowly. You know? But uh, one thing that they never like to talk about very much are polystrate fossils. Anybody ever heard of those? They're mostly trees, but they find fossils all the time connecting many rock layers together. If anybody's interested, I have a picture of one, a tree going, it's, it's, it runs through two coal seams and a whole bunch of rock layers. So the, coal, the tree is coalified at the bottom, petrified in the middle, coalified again at the top. So either the tree grew up through all that coal and rock looking for sunlight or the layers formed at the same time, right? Another thing they don't tend to talk about is that when they find fossils, they always like to use fossils to brainwash kids into believing evolution in millions of years, right? Fossils typically especially dinosaur fossils and things like that, are very seldom found. It's, it's not like they show you where, you know, somebody's digging a hole or something, they hit a bone, and they start digging and find a complete dinosaur skeleton. That's very seldom the way it works out. Generally, they'll find bits, of, you know, maybe a leg here or a skull there, but they also find them in fossil graveyards, they call them. They're enormous uh, patches of just millions of bones all packed together under the ground. Which, you know, did, uh, how did that work? Over millions of years, did they all go to that area and decide they wanted to die there? Or was it more likely that the waters of the flood washed all these animals t- together into that place and were buried, right? I've got a, I've got a video that's very interesting where they show uh, just a couple of years ago, they have they've found triceratops tissue that is still stretchable. They, they, they stretch it out under the, under the um, magnifying glass. So you can see it's bendable, stretchable. But they want us to believe it died off 65 million years ago. I don't think so. It's hard enough imagining 4,000 years ago uh, something like that still being pliable after all this time, but certainly not after 65 million years. Okay. Anyway, after the, the flood, the, you know, the water that's under the ground, you know, it, it never freezes down there. And in fact, it would have been quite warm. So the water coming to the surface of the earth would have been you know, warm, and which would have caused, what, a lot of evaporation, right? So all that evaporated water vapor combined with all the smoke and ash and whatnot from the volcanoes that would have been going on and stuff would have blocked out the sun. What's that going to do? It would drop temperatures, right? And what's dropping temperatures going to do with lots of moisture in the air? Well, you're going to have a lot of snow and ice, right? So the ice age is, is explained perfectly by the flood. You know, the evolutionists really don't have a good answer as to what caused the Ice Age. The Bible is really the only thing that gives us a, a good answer on how the Ice Age could have formed. And after, after some time when all that stuff settled out of the atmosphere, came back down, of course, the sun's going to come back through and, and melt all that snow and ice. But, you know, today, the people all the time going on about global warming, right, and climate change. Well, I mean, how did, how did they, everybody agrees there was an ice age, secular or Christian. So how did, it, how did we get out of the last ice age according to the materialistic worldview? I mean, did the, did the, the cavemen that they believe in have all these uh, internal combustion engines driving SUVs that, that would have caused the world? You know, no, they believe, they believe that the world warmed up too by itself, right? Yeah. So the earth is probably, if there is any, it's debatable whether there is or not, if there is any global warming going on, the earth is still to this day probably recovering from the flood yet. 
which, by the way, the oceans are getting saltier. Did you realize that? That's one way you can show somebody the Earth's not millions of years old. It's, there's approximately 3.6% salt in the oceans today. No way possible if the Earth had been, if it's, uh, if it's millions of years old, as the, as the water cycle goes on and it rains on the Earth, washes all that, uh, the runoff and the erosion back into the ocean, the oceans gradually get saltier, okay? They've determined it, it, there's no way the oceans could possibly be more than 10 or 20,000 years old, and that's a maximum, okay? Anyway, the next major event in the Bible after the flood then uh, was the Tower of Babel. We'll see that a few, uh, a few chapters later. And, uh, you know, man always wants to consolidate power, doesn't he? He wants to, uh, to get together, let it go to, let us build a tower, right, and we'll, we'll reach up to heaven, yeah. And God says, no, I want you to spread out over the whole earth, you know, so he confused their languages, right? And that's where we get the origin of the, uh, the world's languages today. You know, that, again, goes completely against the evolutionary story. If, that was, if it was true that we all evolved from the, the scum or whatever that they talk about, you would expect to see primitive languages, right, that, that gradually evolve over time. They want us to believe that we were all cavemen, you know, at one time with the, you know, bonking women with the club and you're dragging her by the hair into the cave kind of thing, right? And we'd start out with grunts and groans, and you'd, you'd imagine, you know, slowly developing languages. You don't see that at all. When you look at archaeological evidence, there, all the languages of the world, every one, uh, was complete and sophisticated from the very beginning. No evidence whatsoever of evolution of languages. Okay. That also goes with the races, by the way. People, skeptics, sometimes will ask where the races came from, you know, different races of people. We won't really have much time to get, you know, too deep into it, but uh, any changes that you see in animals going on today, people or animals, is always due to a loss of genetic information. Okay, evolution would require an increase in genetic information added into your DNA. There's absolutely no mechanism for that whatsoever that they have ever discovered, right? So you have, you've seen one of those, some of you dog people might know those, what are they called, Sharpays or something, those dogs that have like, they're real small bones, but they got all that big skin hanging off them and hair, is that what they're called? Something like that? Anyway, yeah, they, what they've done is they've crossbred dogs, bred them and bred them and bred them until they have taken away the information that that dog had to make big bones. It's not, they did not evolve new information to make big skin, it's the opposite, they deleted information in their gene code to make small bones. They have lost that ability. And so when you had the people come off the ark, they would have scattered all over the globe, and for different reasons, again, we won't have time to get into it all, but uh, people that went to different areas of the globe are going to lose genetic information. For example, some, like I have lost the genetic information to make lots of melanin in my skin, black skin, right? Okay? So, anyway, man, though, at the Tower of Babel, they got together and wanted to consolidate power, and that's, we still see that going on today, don't we? You watch some of these guys, Klaus Schwab and these uh, uh, Bill Gates and some of these, uh, these globalists that, that are, you know, some of the most wicked, evil men on the face of the planet, sure. right? right. You watch that World Economic Forum. These people are devils, and they're, they're, gonna, they're trying to, to, uh, to take power and to, you know, hope, I don't know. They're, gonna, they're working towards a one-world government. We know that's going to happen eventually, but watch them. Anyway, we'll go back to uh, verse 7 then. <clears throat> it says that Noah sent forth a raven, which went to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Okay? Now, the raven didn't come back. It went out and start, probably feasted on all kinds of dead carcasses and, and whatnot. Um, it says it went back to and fro until the waters were off the earth. Um, the, uh, also, the, before I, I continue any further, um, 
the another uh, question that the skeptics have is what about bugs? In, you know, you're saying Noah had millions of species of bugs on the ark, and what do you have an aquarium? You know, like the fish and, and so forth. Well, the Bible tells us that Noah didn't have to have those things on the ark. Genesis chapter six, verse seventeen tells us, it's, uh, God says, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. Okay, bugs do not have a breath of life. Neither do, neither do fish. They don't have lungs. Okay, it says in, uh, further in chapter 7, verse 22, All in whose nostrils was the breath of life, and all that was in the dry land died. So Noah did not have to have bugs, fish, things like that on the ark. Okay. So he sends out the raven then. It doesn't come back. Then in verse uh, 8, it says, Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. Now, this is kind of really where I was wanting to get to. You know, God, the, the Bible tells us that God uses allegory in the Bible. Okay? He's able to take real events and use them uh, allegorically. It tells us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 24, uh, Paul tells us that the story of uh, ha- uh, Sarah and Hagar was an allegory of the two covenants, right? So with that in mind, let's take a look at the picture of the ark here. In Genesis 6, 16, uh, it says, uh, God's telling Noah how to make the ark. He says, a window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit uh, shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. So the ark had three decks to it, okay, to make up the ark. Who, who do we know that is three, is three in one? It's the Lord himself, right? God is three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So when Noah sends forth the raven then, does that not remind you of, of God, the Father? I, I believe Noah is representative of the Father in this story. Does that not represent the Father sending forth the law? You know, the raven was an unclean animal. And when God sent it forth out of the ark, it says it, it went forth. It didn't return to him. It probably just picked the, the flesh off of dead men's bones. Okay? It couldn't make anything alive. Really brought back nothing of value to the Father. But if you read in verse 8, it says, Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the uh, face of the ground. And uh, the dove was a clean animal. And the dove in Scripture is representative of the Holy Ghost. It's Luke chapter 3, verse 22 says, And the Holy Ghost uh, descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. Uh, and all four Gospels use that, that, uh, mention that event of the Holy Ghost lighting on Jesus Christ as a dove. Jesus Christ was indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He was, he was fully indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He could not have had any more of the Holy Spirit than he had. He was completely full, right? Uh, so, when, so when Noah sends out the dove, how did God send the, the Holy Spirit out into the world? He sent it in Jesus Christ the first time, right? And it says here in verse, uh, let's see, in verse 9, But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark. For the waters were on the face of the whole ground, and he put forth his hand and took her and pulled her in unto him into the ark. Bible tells us when Jesus came into the world, he was rejected of men, right? He was despised. He was born in a stable and laid in a manger because there was no room for him even in the inn. He was not accepted when he came the first time. Man crucified the Son of God when, God, when the Father sent him into the world. And so he went back to the Father, didn't he? And God the Father received him into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father, right? The dove found no rest for the sole of her foot. And uh, so he sends in verse 10 then, it says, he, said, he stayed yet other seven days. And again, he sent forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off. So Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. So this time the dove comes back with an olive leaf. 
Now, we know from, uh, from preachers in this pulpit and from our own study that olive trees and olive leaves oftentimes represent the nation of Israel, right? But also, I believe in this context, it's even more broad. Look in Romans chapter 11, verse 17, real quick. It says, And if some of the branches be, uh, be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But So Paul's telling these Romans who are Gentiles, hey, you all are a wild olive tree. You've been grafted into the natural uh, or the, uh, the, the cultivated olive tree, which is God's people, a nation of Israel. So I believe in this context, it shows us that God's people are represented by the olive leaf. Okay? Galatians 3.28 tells us there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither uh, bond or free, male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Let me turn there right quick. It says that in time, uh, at that time you, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So the olive leaf in the mouth of the dove shows that God sent out the Holy Spirit again after Jesus was received by the Father. And this time, he brought God's people to him into the ark of salvation. Uh, Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So when Jesus went back to the Father, he says, hey, I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost has come into the world, and he dwells in his people today, right? And the waters represent the, if they represent the judgment of God, the raven went forth, and until the waters were abated, you know, the law was made for sinners, right? It's going to be in the world until the, until the end. Uh, but when a dove came back with the leaf in his mouth, it says that, the, that Noah knew the waters were abated. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, will abate the waters of judgment for you, for me, okay? So back in verse 12, go back to Genesis chapter 8, verse 12. It says, and he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him anymore. You know, God is going to send forth his spirit again one day, uh, but this time he's going to set up his kingdom, which will have no end. May happen soon. I don't know. But why did God do all this? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, it says here, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. In Colossians, I'm going to turn over there real quick too, verse, uh, chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. You know, God, when he saves a man, he expects to get some fruit out of him. You know, he doesn't just, he doesn't just save people. You know, sometimes I think that, that sometimes we can get caught up in, in treating uh, the salvation. You know, God gives us evangelism as, as it's supposed to be a ministry of reconciliation, right? God wants us to be reconciled to himself and to walk with him, to live like Jesus. But sometimes, you know, if we're not watching it, we can treat evangelism as, just as though it's some kind of Ponzi scheme. Where, you know, we just, we get people saved. Why? So that they can go get more people saved. Why? So that they can go get more people saved. And I, I realize that is how it works. Don't, get, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm saying God expects more than just evangelism out of us. I think he wants us to live a righteous life. It's, it's interesting, when you read through the New Testament, you don't find a whole lot of instructions on evangelism. What you do find is a lot of instructions on righteous living. 
Because I've noticed that whenever I have, am, am closest to the Lord, you know, living the right way and, and been doing things right, reading my Bible, those are the times when I give out more tracts. Sure. Those are the times when I witness to more people, yeah. right? So it just, it's, if you are living close to the Lord, evangelism will just be a natural thing that, that just comes to you. You don't have to, to, to worry and fret about it so much, right? It says, as it was in the days of Noah, you know, so also shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Uh, the, I've, I've talked to some of you all recently about the, the uh, uh, well, Brother Muncie just mentioned it just a minute ago about the people protesting that they can't kill babies. I mean, can you let that sink in and think about that? They're out in the streets because they can't kill babies. I mean, how much more wicked than that can you get? You know, I've, I've talked to some of y'all recently about the, you know, that they're flying sodomite flags down in, in Winchester, down on Main Street, right? You know, some of us have seen those, and it's, and it's pretty disheartening. But I, I was actually pretty distraught about this recently. I, I actually I started praying to God about this. I, it, it's, it's just been... I'm almost at the point where I just can't take it anymore. This June has become most, the, the, my least favorite month because of this stuff. They're pushing it everywhere. And I actually asked the Lord recently. I just said, Lord, you know, do something. You know, I, I don't know what. I don't even know what. But just help me to get through. Just do something. He kind of gave me a passage. I'll take you there. It's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, flip over there real quick. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 in uh, verse 4. He said, <clears throat> says, uh, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. The time is coming for these folks. You know, they, they, don't, they don't have very long. You know, today is their day, these, these uh you know, all, all these, these sodomites, these baby killers and whatnot, you know, their, their day is coming. And, and as Christians, we are supposed to, to love even our enemies, right? We, they need to hear the gospel. There's some of them out there probably in the streets today that could be saved if somebody would bring the gospel to them, right? But, uh, but God's not going to put up with it forever. But today is their day. Today is not our day. We're still waiting for another day, right? It's, I, I'll, I'll close with this. Uh, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus told us to watch, right? He told us to watch for signs of his return. Luke chapter 21, verse 10. Jesus says, Then said he unto them, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and great earthquakes shall be in divers places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful signs and great signs shall there be from heaven. You know, um, Actually, if you up before that in verse nine, he says, you know, you hear of wars and rumors of wars, and you know, these things will come to pass. You know, we see that today. We see all the wars. We see the the pestilences. Okay, we see the famines. They're talking about a great big food shortage coming, right? All these things. But then he says, great signs shall there be from heaven. I don't know everything exactly that's going to entail. I thought this was interesting. I shared some of these with our Wednesday night class. Uh, these I have a couple articles here, and I could have got a lot more. But this is, uh, this is a mainstream news source. It's not, you know, National Enquirer 
or you know, Weekly World News Bat Boy or something. This is uh, News Channel 18 somewhere. Sky, China's skies turned blood red. Know what caused rare phenomenon that spooked locals. I saw the YouTube videos of this. Over in China, the skies turned red, like red red, like the color of these, these pews over there. And it freaked people out. They, they didn't, you know, Chinese, most of them are not Christians. They have no idea of, of what's coming and whatnot. But the, the skies are turning red, and we've never seen anything like that before. Here's another one. This is, uh, it says, Weather Watch, apocalyptic sky sounds baffle experts. Uh, during the months of the lockdown, people have heard and recorded strange sounds seemingly emanating from the sky. Some believe these are celestial trumpets heralding the apocalypse. There may be other explanations. People are hearing weird sounds coming out of the sky. And the reason I bring that one up is because I've heard them myself. I, I kid you not, one, it was about 10 years ago. I was up in, deer, uh, up in Pennsylvania deer hunting, and I heard a noise, like a great noise. It's, it was just a metallic kind of weird sound. You can go on YouTube and, and, and see it for yourself. But I heard that, and I, I just thought, well, you know, I don't know what that is, whatever. I didn't think much of it. And then I, I, I got on YouTube later, saw people reporting these things all over the world, and they, the scientists have no idea what it is. They don't know. Sounds coming out of the sky, right? So God, Jesus is getting ready to come back. Don't know when it's going to be. But uh, he's going to destroy the earth by fire this time, right? So make sure that you're in God's ark of salvation. And uh, in due time, he'll send you forth uh, to his kingdom, which isn't going to have an end. Amen? Amen.